today's message especially, there's some important links on our YouVersion Bible app. Uh, last week, I did not post those, and that's on me, but this week, they are there, and there are some links. There's links to a specific YouTube page that I want you to check out as part of the application of the message today. And so if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, first, you've got to exit out of Facebook uh, on your phone right now that you're on, or Instagram, um, and then you go to the Bible app. It's the one all the way in the back of your phone, and you, you, you press it, you open it up, and you can go to Events. And you'll see North Park Church, and there will be our scripture. There will be uh, the, the, the application questions for today's message. And there will also be a really important uh, YouTube link. Um, let's go ahead and, and get started today. Uh, we are actually going to be, and you don't have to turn, you can turn there, but we're not going to look at the text just yet. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Um, but as you're turning there, I want to put a question up on the screen. And this is a question that we normally ask. The second question after we meet somebody normally first is, what's your name? The second question is, what do you do for a living? And this is a great question to ask. And really, sometimes we're surprised by the answer that we get from people. Um, we start to make lots of assumptions about people based on their answer. And there's a lot you can learn about someone. In fact, we're on the missions trip with our team. It's so interesting to know somebody for a little while and not know what they do for a living and then find out and be like, wow, that, that makes sense. Or I bet they do great at that. Or sometimes, have you ever met somebody and once they tell you what they do for a living, you get a little intimidated. Um, we do homeschool and um, I'm not even sure if that's grammatically correct, but we, I don't teach them. Don't worry about that. My wife does. Uh, but we are a part of homeschool community and we go in Durham because we have some friends that are a part of that community. And about 100 kids come together. And we picked the wrong community. Um, we had, had like a family night. And it was in Durham. And I met the first guy. And he was some kind of doctor of a thing that I couldn't pronounce. And then I met another guy. And he said he was a scientist. Which to me, I'm like, okay, you're a scientist. Like, what, what a scientist? What do you, you know, come on, man. You're, what do you, you work at CVS. You're not a scientist. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm a scientist. Uh, and he started explaining other things that I could not pronounce, something about the environment. And he's doing something, and I think they're sending it to NASA. And I was, I was a little freaked out. And then they ask those questions, and they talk about it. So I stopped talking to the adults, and I was talking to this little girl. And this little girl was about eight years old. And have you ever talked to a child who talks like an adult, like her grammar, just the way she engaged, she like looked you right in the eye, like she all of a sudden started interviewing me, all right, and she's like, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, you're a child, what do you, what do you, that's none of your business, what does your dad do for a living? She's like, he's a, basically he's a brain doctor for children. I'm like, oh, well, and you know what, that's great, right, like so I was a little intimidated, and then Thanksgiving, that even comes up at Thanksgiving for our family. We go and we spend it in Florida with Ashley's family, and they're all farmers, and they understand farming, and that's the weather, and that's pickup trucks, and that's just getting your hands dirty and doing manly stuff. And then I've got one other brother-in-law. It was at his house. He's super nice, but he took us into his garage, and he showed us his three cars, okay? He had, this is real, he had a Rolls-Royce Phantom, he had a Mercedes G-Wagon, and he had a Lamborghini, okay? And um, I'm not really, I don't really understand what he does for a living, but he has those cars. And so either he's very successful 
or he's going to have a Netflix documentary about his life at some point. I'm not sure. Um, but with all of that, they start talking about their jobs. And when you're a pastor, people look at you like you're a professional wizard. Like it just doesn't feel sometimes to people like it's a real job. Like I feel like I should wear a big hat and have a little stick when I go around my family because they're like, so did you pray this week? Like that's, they, they don't know what you do. And so sometimes when we share what we do, we, we feel a little intimidated. Other times, we feel very confident. But what we do for a living really impacts not only how other people view us, but many times how we view ourselves. And here's part of the challenge. Everyone wants to be successful rather than forgotten. And everyone wants to make a difference in life. And I don't say this very often. I, I always pray about the messages, and we try to plan out in advance. And many times we just go through books of the Bible. But, but this message in particular, I felt like the Holy Spirit really put on my heart that we have a lot of people, a part of North Park, and, and I, I just want to speak delicately to you. We, I just feel this overwhelming sense. We have a lot of people that feel like they're stuck. You feel like you're stuck. Not, not, not so much spiritually, not so much with your family, but you kind of felt like you would be somewhere else in life than where you are right now. And Monday through Friday, you just dread. Like, you're good now, but as it gets closer to, to Sunday night and you start thinking about Monday morning, your mood changes. You get a little tense. You get a little down. You get a little frustrated. This is more than just, I'm nervous because it's a big week. It continually feels like this heaviness that's on you. And I want to speak life into you today. I want to encourage you today, not with my own ideas, but through Scripture, because what you do for a living is so important, but there's so many different ways that it can affect us. And sometimes this desire to say, I want to make a difference, makes us question if, well, if my job doesn't necessarily feel like I'm going out and doing something, like I'm not a scientist, I'm not an astronaut, I'm not a, a brain surgeon, what, how does my job make any difference in the world? How am I making any difference in the world? And we really have to look at it one of two ways. Either what we do matters in life, or as one author said, and this guy is a uh, professor at one of our universities, so this is very encouraging, he said, if this, if, if, life, if this is all there is, then everything will eventually burn up in the death of the sun, and no one will ever be around to remember anything that has ever happened. Everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do makes any difference, and all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. If you believe that the sun is just going to explode, everything's going to end, and what you do right now in life does not matter, then it is very difficult to wake up and start this grind over and over and over again. But I would say this. I think it's also difficult to believe that God is working and there is a plan and he is doing things, but you feel like you're on the outside of that plan. And you can see other people and connect the dots how their jobs, well, these people are missionaries or this person, um, you know, is in the medical field. I, I, I really don't inter even interact with people. How does my job where I'm at make any difference at all? And here's the challenge. Work can be frustrating and exhausting. 
And some of you, I love to talk to you about what you do because you have such interesting jobs. Um, I don't want to point them out, but Matt and Brittany uh, have incredible jobs. They work at Duke University, and if you want to learn about a really cool job, you need to talk to them and what they do because it's, it's pretty amazing the different things they get to do and the stories that they have, and I love to hear from them. But a couple weeks ago, Matt had a very stressful week at work. And how quickly things can change and can be frustrating and it can be exhausting. But you get this feeling when you talk to him that he gets the idea of why he does what he does. And so if it is frustrating, if it is exhausting, he can make it through because he sees the bigger picture of what is trying to take place. But what happens when you cannot see that? Here's what happens. We quickly conclude that work is to be avoided or we just kind of endure Like, I want to avoid work as much as possible. I don't want to think about work at all. And again, this is not just, hey, I just need to get away for a few days. It is you try to turn your brain off from it because it is draining the life from you. And so sometimes we feel like we just need to avoid work. And this is not talking about lazy people. In fact, I heard a comedian recently talking about one of the big box stores, and he said, I really believe their interview process goes like this. Have you ever cared about anything in your entire life? No? Congratulations, you're hired. You're going to now work in the uh, CDs, DVDs, and computer department in the store. Right? You ever go in a store and you just feel like they don't care? Not only do they not want to be there, they don't want you to be there. Okay? Uh, recently, uh, Rocky, our youngest, uh, turned eight, and we went to Galaxy Fun Park. And you can go and pay, and you can just do everything as many times as you want. And most of the people that work there are like young adults. And, and, and I could just watch as we went to each thing because we kind of went in the middle of the day on a Friday and we went to the go-karts and when the guy realized that we had that pass, it meant we could ride it and stop and just get back on. He was just like, oh no. So he just watched us. He would make us get out of the carts, go back, and he would repeat the safety stuff. By the third time, I was like, hey man, if you just want to go, I can, I can do this now. I've watched you. I could... <laughs> I could do the whole safety thing. I mean, we're going half a mile an hour. I think we're going to be all right. But he just did not want to be there. And if that's you today, I really believe that Paul has something for you. If you're here today and you love your job and you say, man, I I just see so clearly, then I hope that you'll see also that you can love your job but also understand it makes an impact in the world. And we are not the first people to struggle with this idea. In fact, if you love your job today, it's very possible that sometimes our hearts can disorder things and put them in the wrong order, and the affirmation and validation that you receive at work, it's tempting to make your entire life about your career. And when sales are good and things are good at work and you're reaching your goals and your your supervisor just cannot stop bragging about you, it's, it's a high. But with that same job, when the numbers are not there and the emails are not fun, it's a very low, low. And so your entire family, even your kids, they're really stressed out about your job just as much as you are because they're not sure which version of you they're going to get based on how things are going. So what do we do with this tension of, Some people hate their job and just don't even want to think about it. Some people love it so much they find all their worth and all their value. Well, Paul writes a letter to the Corinthians. In fact, we've talked about this before. He's written four letters. 
What we call 1 Corinthians is actually uh, 2 Corinthians. Okay? And what we call 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter. But that's not important for our time today. I want you to know a little bit about the kind of the context that Paul's writing to. So the ancient Greek thought, the ancient Greeks thought that the gods made human beings work. So their idea was the gods are detached, they're somewhere else, and every job, every job is a punishment, and you have to work, and you work so you can get food, so you can live, so you can serve the gods, and it's just kind of a part of this this cycle, and then you die, and new people come, and work was demeaning, and work was a curse, and work was nothing else. In fact, Corinth, where Paul is writing to, kind of the the legend behind this area was that there was a king of a place called Corinth, and he was punished by the gods because he was very quick-witted, which can get you in trouble, and he was sentenced to the eternal drudgery of pushing a huge stone up a hill, and once it would reach the top, it would roll back down, and he would start all over again. Over and over again, all his effort, all his work to get it up to the top, only to see it fall again. And this was a picture of man's condition. It was the just how absurd life is. How it feels like even if you're having a good week at work, you ever had a really great week and you get to that project and you finish it and you knock it out of the park and you get the big stone all the way to the top and then you think, is that it? And then you let go, and it rolls all the way back down. And those numbers that you reached, they're like, great, now that we know you can do that, we'd love to see you get to here. And you're like, oh, no. So there's this tension of how do we deal with this feeling? And Paul was writing to a group of people who all understood that their jobs were a curse, that work was a curse, that it was pointless, and you roll the stone only for it to roll down again. Now, Corinth itself was a very wealthy place. There was a lot of traffic. It was a port area from the north and south and east to west, so people would bring import and export luxury items like ivory and carpets and wool. And so Corinth became very wealthy, but it was also known for its loose morals. It became a party town, and people would come in and only stay a few nights, And it was kind of the first Las Vegas, right? Uh, Sailors would come in and and business people and whatever they did there stayed there. And there was even a kind of a phrase back then that you would never want to marry a girl from Corinth because of their morals and values. And so it was a wealthy place. But the idea was life is pointless. Work is a curse. Do what you can to escape that truth. And have as much fun as possible to just kind of numb the pain. And if we're honest, even Christmas, as we're, we're kind of getting ready for that, is really a distraction that we enjoy. And it's not evil, it's not wrong, but, but there's something about it. We, we hope that if our calendar is packed with Christmas parties and all these different things, that for this next month at least, we can be distracted from work. Man, I just feel this so heavy. There's so many of you in this room right now. That's how you feel. So let's get into God's word. Verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So what is Paul saying here? And we're going we're to camp out. We'll leave it on the screen for, for during this time just so you can, you can be thinking about it. 
Because elsewhere, Paul uses this same idea of God calling people, and he uses it to describe a saving relationship with salvation. So when he's talking about this idea of the life that the Lord has assigned to them, that's the same word he was using for salvation. He also uses it in another part to describe God assigning spiritual gifts for ministry. But in this particular text, it's not about spiritual gifts. And it's not about salvation. It's actually talking about where you find yourself in kind of the 9 to 5, the Monday through Friday, the grind of life. He's talking about that place right now where you feel stuck. He uses those same words, but it's to describe the, the, the common social and economic tasks that you and I face every single day. And here's what he's saying. Just as God equips Christians for building the body of Christ and serving, he also equips people with talents and gifts for various kinds of work for the purpose of building up creation and the world and being stewards. And, and, and the way that the Jewish people understood this was, it was kind of like a tilted mirror. If you ever have one of those big mirrors that's tilted, and you can tilt it back. And we were to kind of reflect creation's worship back to God, but at the same time, we reflect what God is like to creation by stewarding and using our gifts and talents. And here's what's important to remember. Work was a part of paradise before sin. And we often don't think of it that way. When we read the Genesis narrative, we think that before that, Adam did not work. But actually what we see there is that work was a part of paradise. The Bible begins talking about work as soon as it begins talking about anything. This is how important and basic it is. The author of Genesis describes God's creation as a world of work, of his craftsmanship. God is working. And the creation narrative in the book of Genesis is actually unique to all other ancient accounts of creation. If you go back and read other creation narratives, it is always out of chaos. There is this war between these two different gods, and out of chaos there is a winner, and then peace is brought. But in the Genesis narrative, it is not born out of chaos. It is an act of work and grace, and, and there's some artwork involved in what God is creating. Work has dignity because it's something that God does, and it's something that we do as God's representatives. Work was a part of God's perfect design for human life. And because we are made in God's image and a part of his glory, something very special happens when we work. Even Jesus says in John 5, 17, my father is always at his work to this very day. And he says, I too am working. Even heaven, this idea of a new heavens, new earth, there is work to be done. Now, obviously, sin has affected work. It affects how we do our work. It affects the frustration. It affects the joy that we get out of the work that we do. It makes work more difficult. We now have to deal with all the personalities. Have you ever been at your job and thought, I could do this job so much better if no one else worked here? Like, if I didn't have to deal with any people, good luck, because you're going to get that when these AI robots take over everything like the Terminator showed us, right? We've seen the movie, guys. We know what's going to happen. And Arnold's getting older. We can't rely on him to come back and save us from these robots, right? So sometimes we think it would be easier if I could just do this 
on my own. Verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his calling already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at his time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Now this verse seems out of place. Because we got this nice passage about how God has equipped you and called you, not just in the body of Christ at church. He's, Paul doesn't even actually make a distinction. He's saying that there is a way in which we can view our work as a calling to do what God has called us to do, to benefit the world, to make a difference in our community, in our city, in our state. And then he goes on and he says, hey, if you're circumcised, be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you don't have to be circumcised. What is he talking about? Well, as we know, for the Jewish people, circumcision was a, a sign of this promise with God, this special covenant promise. But to everyone else, it was a very weird thing to do. And so sometimes it caused this, this cultural tension where non-Jewish people thought Jewish people thought they were better than them. Not only because they were, the men were circumcised, but because they wouldn't eat pork. Pork was the cheapest meat available. So you're too good to eat the food that we eat, and you think that you're so different, and your God is different. And so sometimes there was this hatred toward the Jewish people. And there's a real tension here, because many of the Jewish people in Corinth were under pressure to pretend that they were not Jewish in order to be accepted in society. And here's where things get a little weird, but I think it's hilarious. The Jewish men in Corinth that became Christians were going to the local gym to work out. And, and, and in Corinth, it was very much um, influenced by the Greek culture. And the men worked out naked. Everybody was naked. Planet Fitness, when you went in in Corinth, the Planet Fitness in Corinth was still $10 a month. We don't even know how they did it. But everybody, every man was naked. And Jewish men were actually creating ways to make it appear as if they were not circumcised. So they did not feel pressure or felt different than the other men. Because in business, they did not want to be identified as, as, as circumcised. And so if everybody kind of works out, think about today. People play golf. They make business deals. The gym was a place where this could happen. But many of the Jewish men felt this pressure. And so... They found creative ways to make it look like they had not been circumcised. On the other end, within the church, many of the Jewish Christians, they, in the church setting, they were fine with being circumcised. And it was the Gentiles who there were thinking, well, maybe I need to do this because there was this pressure of, well, if you're really a part of God's people, shouldn't you follow the law? And so Paul speaks into this. And says, stop. If you are circumcised, stay that way. If you're not, stay that way. Those things are not what matters anymore. There was a purpose and a plan for that, but it's gotten us to this place. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we hoped for. Don't miss him while you're worried about this. On a side note, I know why they knew the men were circumcised at the gym. I don't understand how at church they were finding out. Okay? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you, but they knew. 
and they were nervous. And there was this pressure to really seek out social status in the same way that we do with a career. And maybe you're here today and you think, man, that's where I'm at. Like when I graduated high school, I had this plan of where my life was going to be. And all of a sudden now I'm 40 or 30 or 50 or 60 and I am not where I thought I would be. And the last thing you want to do is run into someone you know from your past because you had big dreams and you feel stuck and you feel like maybe I need to do something to change it so I can feel better. And I believe Paul is saying through Scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to first rest in who you are in Christ. There is nothing wrong with looking for a new career, a new job, trying to find, you know, bettering yourself, taking classes, working to get promoted. But Paul is telling us here, do not find your worth and value. Don't believe the lie that once you get to that place, once you make a little bit more money or once you're the boss, you will not need anything. That's a lie. You get there and you get the job and then you're really sad because it did not do what you thought it would do. In some cases, you now have more problems or more stress or it didn't fix what you thought. I think we've all been in that place where we thought, well, if I was in charge and then you're in charge and you're like, you know what? That guy was doing a really good job. He really was. Because maybe where you're at in your position, you have people under you that are constantly saying, well, you should do it this way, and they don't see what you see. Or you're the person under them, and you're thinking, why do they not see it my way? I mean, I've talked to everybody else. I know there's a problem. So there's this belief, if I could just get there, or if I was just where they were, I would not have this, this, this just heaviness on me. And Paul is saying, do not believe, whether it's circumcision or the corner office, that if you could just get to that place, then life would be great. Verse 20. Each of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to that opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You who you were bought with a price, do not be bound servants of men. Now, Paul is dealing with this idea of servants and slaves in first century in Corinth. And I think it's always important to acknowledge that sometimes passages like these and other things that Paul has said have been used in our history to promote things like the slavery of people. And it was evil and it was wrong. And they manipulated text to tell people, you must stay this way. In fact, this is where God has called you to be in this particular context. It's worth noting that slavery in first century Corinth, in most cases, in almost all cases, was very different than what we know of where people in, in, in more recent history, were taken from their home, taken from their families, and forced into servanthood with the, no chance of freedom. Whereas many times in first century, especially in Corinth, there were people who financially could not make it and were better off to work as a, as a, as a servant in a house 
because they would be fed, they would, have, uh, they would have what they needed, they'd have a place to live, but every servant also had the opportunity to save money in order to buy their freedom. They had the luxury to work another job on the side and save up, and here's why that was what they would do. You would work, and you would save up, and then you would go to a particular temple of a god, and you would store your wealth there like a bank. And when you achieved the price that needed to be paid for your freedom, you would go get the person that was your master and you would bring them to the temple and the priest would do a ceremony and say, you are no longer a slave to this person. You now are a servant of this God. Now you're free as a person, but spiritually you now serve this God and you're, you're, you're there to serve him. So what Paul does is he takes this as a word picture that the people would understand and says, listen, you're not a slave to man anymore. You have been purchased with a price. The price that purchased was not something you earned and saved up for. It's what Christ did on the cross, which is purchased your salvation. You now belong to him. Paul is saying, do not find your status or your worth or your value and think that what you do for your job defines who you are. In fact, what Paul would say is once we get this part down, once we understand our identity in Christ, we can actually enjoy what we do even more because when things are great, to God be the glory. When they're not, I am not any less of a person. I don't have less value. I I am loved by God. I am a child of the king. And I know you say, well, Duke Energy does not take that as payment, right? When you get your electric bill, you can't say, hey, I'm a child of the king, citizen of heaven. I get 50% off, right? No, that doesn't work. God knows that you've got to make money. But guys, we are riding the highs and lows of achievement. And it's ruining our families, ruining our lives. One minute we're up, the next minute we're down. And again, achievements and failures, we can learn from those things. And there's highs and lows in life. And as a Christian, it's not that we're exempt from those feelings. In fact, in some, in some cases, it's, it's good to kind of feel that hurt of, man, I didn't achieve, so let me work harder. But where we tend to reach in America is this is my identity, this is my worth, this is who I am. And then once I work, I need to spend more to have more things to show that I've reached that place. And it just becomes a trap. So here's what he he ends with, verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now here's what Paul's not saying. If you started off working at Piggly Wiggly bagging groceries at 16 in Corinth, you should be working at the Piggly Wiggly in Corinth for the rest of your life. That's not what he's saying. But what Paul is saying is changing your career or changing what you do is not what gives you status or worth. Don't chase those things. Understand first who you are and why you are here and then take that into the workplace. And I believe that is what changes everything because here's what it is. Be a Christian where you are right now. Wherever it is that you are going tomorrow morning, and, and the, way, the world we live in now, some of you are going to an office. Some of you are going to be in pajama pants, but you're going to be in front of a screen. I mean, you, you work from home or you commute. You're going somewhere. 
Our work can be a calling if we reimagine it as a mission of service to do something beyond our own interests. So how do we do that? Well, I got some slides I want to show you real quick. Now, let me point out these questions. Number one, when I typed these, uh, I really underestimated the font size. And so if you go to Uversion, uh, you can find those. And also, we'll make them available online, and, and we'll put some bigger font. And so unless you're sitting right here, you probably can't read what's on the screen. I barely can. But here's what these questions are. This is, this is a worldview. And a worldview is a comprehensive perspective from which we interpret all of reality. It's basically like this is the lens through which I look at the world. And everybody in the world, without asking themselves these questions, really decides what their job is like based off these three questions. Number one, how are things supposed to be in the world? Number two, what's the main problem with the things as they are? So the first question is, what is the world supposed to be like? That's why we get mad about things like injustice. We're like, this is not right. It should not be this way, okay? That's the first question. The second one is, what's keeping it from being the way it's supposed to? And the third one is, what's the solution? What is the world supposed to be like? What's the problem? And what's the solution? And everybody you know, and the person next to you at the cubicle, and the person in the office, and even your kids at home, and you in the seats right now, you have an answer to all these questions. Now, I would encourage you this week to write out your answers to these questions. Because sometimes we just kind of have it internally in our heads, but we're not really thinking about the application of it. Let me give you what the Christian response is. For the first question, how are things supposed to be? The world is good, God made the world, and everything in it was good. Number two, what's the problem? The world has fallen. There is no aspect of the world that is not affected by sin. Every part of work is affected by sin. The people you work with, you yourself, your job, your company, the mission statement at your job, the PowerPoint presentations, the coffee. Why does it always taste so bad? It's all affected by sin. The third answer is this. The whole world, though, is going to be redeemed, and Jesus is going to redeem spirit and body, people and nature, and there is no part of reality for which there is no hope. The world is supposed to be good. The world is not good because of sin. But because of Jesus, all things can and will be made new. And if this is the worldview that you are going into work with, it changes everything. In fact, I want to skip the last section of questions, and I want to show you a video in just a second. And recently, so thankful for this, Jonathan Boggs, who's a very talented member of our church, who, who attends here at our church, and, and he is just amazing with videos. He's very, very intelligent, and, and he put together for, um, for his studies, for his doctorate, a group called Sacred Workplaces, Sacred Workspaces. And it was a small group that we had here at North Park, and some folks from North Park were a part of this group. And I had, the, I had the privilege to be a part, and it started with looking at what, is it, what do we do, what's our job, is it a calling, is there a difference, well, how does what I do make a difference in the kingdom? 
And he did these really incredible videos and interviewed each person that was a part of the group. And here's why I, I want to encourage you to follow the link on version. I'm going to show you one of these videos, but I want to encourage you to watch all of them because it's going to answer this question. Some of you are in this room and you say, my job is not connected to the kingdom. It does not make a difference. I don't see how anything that I do, I mean, how in the world is what I do a part of what God's doing in the world? How is it a calling? Each person in this class had very different jobs. And in the group, we actually studied different jobs like a tattoo artist and a grave digger and a barista and how what they did was a vocation. It was a calling, and they were on mission with Jesus. And so I want you to take a look at a video from Jeff Edwards, who's a part of North Park Church. My name is Jeff Edwards, and uh, I'm a chef at a private school here in Raleigh. I walked into this situation a year ago in the middle of the school year, and I had I, I was just taking the reins from somebody else, and it really wasn't my, I'm going to say, show. And, I, and at one point, I didn't think I wanted to be there anymore, and I wanted to, to do something different. But the message was super clear every time I started doubting myself or doubting where I, where I was that I definitely needed to be there. So it took time and prayer and, and me listening to, to the Lord to, 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 to become comfortable and to, to, to make this my show. We get to take the bounty of his, of, of his goodness and we're entrusted with this, you know, with all this great product and we get to turn it into fantastic meals. It is school food, but like, we try to put a little bit better twist on it. Um, you try to get the kids to, to, to learn about something that they might not know about. It's been good to be able to reach into these kids' lives and get them to come out of their shell a little bit. I would ask them each, you know, how's your day going? They would say, good. I'm like, no, see, good doesn't work for me. Like you either, you can say I'm having a bad day and I'm fine with that. Like I am on board with a bad day. We will get you through it. We will talk about it. We will pray about it. We will get you where you need to be. But don't just say good. For me to participate in a Christ-like environment, I get to create the atmosphere and the work environment. I think it's asking people how they're doing. I think it's asking about their faith. Um, it's not always the easiest thing to do, but I think if you show yourself as somebody who lives in a, in a priestly way or a godlike manner, that people definitely pick up on that. And it, 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 makes, it makes having a conversation about, you know, a sick relative or you know, a tragedy in somebody's life or even a praise report, easier to talk about. And then that way you can pray for each other and you can encourage each other and that, that makes a big, big difference. I have one girl I work with who's, who's, a, who's, a, who's a singer in her church. She doesn't want to be the lead singer. She doesn't want to hold that position. She, she's afraid to make mistakes. I've kind of pushed her boundaries at work now where she's even taken more steps and a different role at church than she was used to because now she can see she doesn't she doesn't fail at work. She she always does the you know the best job possible. Whereas I just think she just needed a little bit of pushing and guidance. And now she's she's leading that choir. She's doing songs on her own that she never would have done. And I feel like she's even told me she's like you're a big part of that. I mean I think people see see me and see my team and see how positive we are. Um, and it's it's not. It's just coming from him. It's just bleeding through. It really is just showing others that, you know, just do good and be right. You'll, 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 you'll create a great work environment.
Is this a practical? There we go. Um, because of what they do, they now understand because of this group how it's connected to God's kingdom. So if, if that's kind of a struggle for you right now, if that's a challenge for you, I want to encourage you to watch these videos. Um, and I, and I, I would hope if we beg him, I think we could even use this material or, or, or see if he would do it again because I really feel like there is a heavy need, a heavy burden in our church where people feel stuck where they're working or wonder how am I making any difference where I am. And I mean, in this group, some of those folks were worked at a dentist's office. Some of them were in management. I don't want to, you know, Zane is a male model, and he talked about what the challenge of being a model for Jesus. And so uh, everybody in there was able to make that connection. But I want to pray with you now before we enter into worship for one last song. Gracious Heavenly Father, I know when I got up here today, it was just a different day. I know that there is a heaviness upon some folks. I know there's some people today that Thanksgiving needed to be longer because the last thing they want to do is show up on Monday. And maybe they're in this space and that's because somebody at the office just feels like they have it out for you. Or maybe you're, you're in this category where you feel like everything you do is not good enough and you're not sure how much longer you're even going to have a job. Or maybe you're at a job and you say, this is never the job that I would have picked for myself. Maybe you're at a place where you think, I hope I don't see anybody from high school because I thought I was going to be somewhere so different. Would you surrender that to the Lord today? It would be so powerful if right now just at your seat, you would just say, God, I surrender this job to you. And be honest. Be honest. I, if, if it's, I hate this job, and you've said it a million times, but, but right now, just releasing that to God. I, God, I don't like where I am. I don't like what I'm doing. Will you help me to see how this is a part of what you're doing in the world? Will you guide me this week to people that I can encourage? Will you help me to see how what I'm doing makes any difference in the world? And if you're here today and you're in the, the midst of a season of thinking about a career change, I would encourage you to fast. I would encourage you to fast, not because it makes God give you an answer, but it brings supernatural clarity. And so right now, let's just surrender to God. Heavenly Father, we surrender these things to you. And we know that you can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And we just pray right now, Jesus, that you would heal the hearts in this room. You are not stuck. Your life is not a failure. You do not need to be embarrassed or ashamed. God knows your heart. He sees where you are at. And in Jesus' name, I pray that you would see how your current position connects to the kingdom. And if God has laid out plans for it to be a different job, I pray that you would seek clarity. You would seek wise counsel. I would encourage you to fast. And allow the, your Heavenly Father to open doors for you. Doors of favor and doors of purpose. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.